Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Beton and Noam Weisman for the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, Wandering Jews as they tackle topics and uncomfortable questions about Israel, Judaism, and Zionism that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. Listen to Wandering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wandering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, some like it cold, some like it hot, but what they all have in common is living life as a basic tube. That's right, we're talking about worms who live in the most extreme places on Earth, able to endure temperatures and chemicals that would easily kill a poison. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, what sorts of activities are scheduled for the Ice Worm Festival? Joining me today is friend of the show, writer for American Dad, and the Soren part of Quick Question with Soren and Daniel, Soren Bowie. Welcome! Hello, everybody. Thank you for the introduction. I'm realizing after hearing it, I know I brought this on myself because I suggested a worm, but I don't, I'm worried I'm going to be the worm guy, and I don't want that title. Uh, oh, you! now that you just said warm guy, it's stuck. Now that's all I can think of. Soren Bowie, warm guy. Yeah. When you have, find another worm that you really like, and you're like, oh, I should have on warm guy. Yeah. Well, now, see, you made you, you had that in your head, and you could have kept it just to yourself I in your brain, but now it's out there it. in the universe, and you've made it happen. Oh, I'm an oversharer. <laughs> um, hi, everybody. I'm Soren Bowie. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited about to talk about uh, my favorite animal of all worms. Yes. Uh, you suggested ice worms, which I got to admit, I had actually never heard of. I figured it was a worm that lived in ice. Bingo. And, yeah, gosh darn it. <laughs> I was right about that. Uh, yeah, but these are really interesting. Um, Soren, why, why did you suggest this? What, what do you find interesting about the ice worm? Um, I, I always get excited when... Uh, we think that there's places on Earth that animals can't live. And it's yeah. just, they're like, nah, it's just like carbon-based life forms have like a very specific temperature in which they can live. And then we'll find like uh, something living a, a, inside the lava of a volcano. And we're like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> Things can live anywhere. And so the uh, ice worms were one of them. Ice worms were very exciting to me also because they're kind of, 
I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but they remember them being kind of like snowflakes in that if you take them out of the, the, the snow for too long, they just sort of melt in your hand. Yep. Yep. That you are correct about that. Yes. They are really weird and interesting. And indeed, they live somewhere that it doesn't seem like they should be able to live, but also they need a very specific set of parameters to be alive. Like they are very much like the the Frosty the Snowman thing where it's like, ah, it gets too warm, he dies, um, which is a horrible thing to teach children. But like it also like if they get too cold, they also die. They just have this very it's like I like it. These five degrees of temperature, no more, no less. And if it is, I will just melt or freeze. And it, <laughs> it's I feel that, though, I like. I have a very limited temperature range that I can tolerate before I feel like passing out because it's too warm or just kind of like stop moving because it's too cold. No, that makes sense to me too. I do. I feel that as well. I can definitely tell in my house. I'll be like, I guess I'm also pretty dramatic, but I'd be like, oh my God, I'm freezing. Oh yeah. That's the problem. It's 68 in here and not 70. <laughs> yeah. I actually, so I'm more sensitive to heat than I am to cold. Uh, So, like, if I accidentally wear an extra layer that I'm not supposed to be wearing outside, (laughs) I actually actually feel like I might pass out. I'm like, oh, wow, well, I overdid it. I wore a sweater I shouldn't have, and now I need to sit down and drink some water. (laughs) I'm the same way. I just got back from Tucson, which is where my wife is from, and anytime I go there that's not the dead of winter... I'm like, this. people should not live here. No. It's too hot. This is the landscape of hell. Yeah. Look at it. It's all brown and crusted and all the animals are rust colored and starving. Like, this is not where things should live. My it's too m- hot. <laughs> My mom grew up in Bakersfield, so we would visit there oh. every so often. And it, it's like it reaches over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which for Celsius is over 40. I don't know. I'm going to just sit here and see if you can do it. I don't know. 40s. No <laughs> 40s Celsiuses. I don't know. Yeah, what's good in Celsius? Like, what are the good Celsius? The 30? Uh, no, 30 is still a little bit warm. I think the good oh. Celsiuses are in the mid, low to mid 20s. Mm, that's complicated. Yeah. I like my, my system, which isn't, by the way, Fahrenheit. I have my own. Yeah. Buoys. <laughs> and they and they have very precise decimals it's a uh, yeah it's kind of a mess mathematically <laughs> but yeah so these worms um like to live in the ice thus that is why they are called ice worms they are a genus of segmented worms there are actually 77 species of ice worm found in various habitats of ice and snow uh, and they can complete their whole life cycle around zero degrees Celsius, and they can even be found in glacial ice. So uh, if temperatures get a few degrees below zero degrees Celsius, they can die. If it goes uh, to around 40 degrees uh, Fahrenheit or four degrees Celsius, they can die. Uh, so, yeah, they are very, very picky, just like uh, Soren and I are when it comes to temperatures. Uh, and they can actually move between ice crystals through the ice using tiny hairs on their bodies. Now, I think this brings up something where you asked me before we started recording if I'd ever seen a close-up picture of an ice worm. And I was shocked to find that, no, I hadn't. Um, 
and I did look at one and it is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> I love microscopic photography of little creatures because it's always like there's a certain range that's sometimes a little cute, like with tardigrades, but then you get close enough. It's always horrifying every time. Yeah. Yeah. This one, it, it's, it's, it's like unfair to call it a worm when you get up close because it's got tons of little pom-poms coming off of it. Like little arms with fur at the end. Yeah. It kind of looks like it's, it kind of looks like the arms make it look kind of like it's got a rib. It's just a rib cage. It looks like a skeleton wearing a fur coat. Yeah, which I mean, that's that's fun though. It's like you got to be cold when you're a skeleton. Wind goes right through you. Kind of makes sense to wear for coat, but yeah. I mean, this actually, you know, have you ever seen a bobbit worm? Yes, it yeah. looks kind of like a bobbit worm, and uh, which yeah. I, I mean, this is hard though. If you haven't seen a bobbit worm, it's like this is very bobbit worm esque. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's like got a bunch of bristles coming out of it it looks like it stuck like hundreds of brooms on its sides and they've got yeah. just like a little like puff of bristles coming out and it uses those to like navigate amongst ice crystals so getting perch i mean if you've been on ice it's slippery right am i right <laughs> i'm bad at i'm bad at ice do you know how to ice skate yeah, well, I was born in Colorado, so you're ah, born. Okay. You're handed a bunch of uh, winter skills. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up in Southern California, so the first time I saw ice, I I cried and and uh, and ran away because it's like, what is? <laughs> it's too smooth and it's too cold. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I can't. I cannot ice skate. I'm bad at it. So it is. It's slippery, and so you need some kind of purchase. And these little guys have traction. Such that they can move between these ice crystals, and there's that in that way they can actually live like inside glaciers in glacial ice, which is kind of a place I would not have thought something as delicate as a little wormy could manage. Yeah, I, I here's what I don't understand about them is that after doing zero research on my own. <laughs> They live exclusively in ice. Nothing grows in ice, it feels like. So what are they eating? That's a great question. It's because the premise of your question is wrong. There is stuff that grows in ice, like algae, which basically is the thing that can grow anywhere. Uh, yes. Oh. So they will eat algae that can grow in the ice uh, or on the ice. And uh, yeah, like basically... If you've got this is what's so fascinating about extreme environments. As long as you got one thing that is hardy enough to grow there, then you can have a whole food chain, right? Because like now things can eat the ice worms and get a source of nutrition in these areas. So now you've you've got this whole food chain of supporting life once you get like just something like algae that manages to be like, eh, I can do I could do a glacier. Yeah. I could I could set up shop here. I this could work is with a that. Pretty nice spot. Yeah. Yeah. And these are like these are little itty bitty worms. They range from being teeny tiny, like a couple of centimeters long and as thin as a hair, to like a couple inches or sixty millimeters long and about like point one inch or two point five millimeters thick. So they're like they're visible to the naked eye, obviously, and you can pick them up and watch them melt in your hand and laugh. 
and laugh. Oh man! Uh, but yeah, they are. But they're small. They're small. They just look very delicate, and it's it's hard to believe that they can survive such rugged temperatures. So I mean, it's crazy that there's their structural stability is dependent on being almost frozen, nearly right. frozen. Like it's like that you pick it up. And your body temperature is such that this animal turns into liquid form. (laughs) Yeah, it's a living popsicle. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, if there were things that lived in the sun, they'd probably view us with the same amazement of like, wow, can't even get close to the sun without turning into vapor. Yeah. The other end of the the element (laughs) spectrum. Uh. Man, I, I'm trying to think of like, yeah, what the equivalent would be on the other end. Like, if there's something that just turns to powdery dust as soon as it gets in the sun. But I yeah. don't know. I mean, you know, I I, I think that it is, uh, it's, it is one of those things where it's so highly specialized. There are a few species of animals that are like this. They, they're often called like indicator species because they can indicate that, say, the environment is changing or the temperature is changing because... Their population levels will uh, rapidly fluctuate if there is something going on with the temperature. I think another one is, it might be the pika. Oh, we did. We talked about the pika. We did talk about the pika. You and I went down memory row. That's right. About my upbringing. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we did talk about pikas before. Around this time during Easter. That's right. Yeah, because we talked about alternative bunnies. Um, but yeah, no, pikas are much cuter, arguably. I mean, these worms are pretty cute, though. Look at their little cavernous faces and bristles. But like the pika <laughs> is another indicator species who uh, dies from heat exhaustion uh, if the their temperature is increased just a little bit. So uh, yeah, there are, there are species like this that are very sensitive, have a very specialized range because for so long, like the temperature's were relatively stable and so these animals will evolve to kind of fit this very specific niche and they just don't expect to have someone show up with like a hair dryer and blow it on them or you know pollute the planet until we get greenhouse gases why does it have such a gaping mouth is that the only way to eat algae (laughs) you just gotta i mean you know i i i the short answer is I'm not sure, but the long answer is I think it is to be able to scoop up algae. Ugh. What a yeah. existence. <laughs> I mean, it's life is a tube. Freezing cold ice. Everything on Earth, though, is essentially a tube. We're tubes, just with yeah. extra details. I guess that's why I appreciate worms so much. That I remember in high school learning the tube within a tube system and being like, ah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> we should all just been that. Why did we advance beyond that? That was a that was a great I mean, we idea. are still essentially tubes, right? Like there's yeah. a direct line from your mouth to your butthole. Uh mm. it is we are essentially tubes and we kind of start out as tubes and that's you know, we just we are just highly detailed tubes. If it um, helps to think about that way. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly keeps you humble. Yeah. Don't get too haughty. Just remember you're you're a tube with accessories. <laughs> I guess I'd prefer it that way. I would prefer that that waste comes out a different place than uh than all the meals go in. Yeah, of course. So I'm gonna the, stick with it. 
tubes are a great design. That's why we see so many of them in nature. Um, but ice worms love glaciers so much that you can find around 5 billion ice worms on just one glacier, uh, which Whoa. is a lot. Wait a second. So if I'm hiking around, let's say, Antarctica, is that, is that a place where they might live? Well, you could even be closer. You could be uh, in Mount Rainier, Washington. Okay, let's say I'm taking a trip to Mount Rainier and I'm hiking, and I don't know about these yet. And I'm hiking and hiking, and all of a sudden I get to the snow field, and it's just littered with, like, the <laughs> worms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that I would be terrified. I yeah, think that, I mean, that was hell. I shared a picture with you. You can see, like, you can sometimes it just looks like the snow oh, is just sort of speckled with little worms. It yeah. kind of looks like, I don't know, like, tiny twigs or something or or something growing there but no it's little worms see it all moving i would be oh i'd be i'd leave i wouldn't get to the top i mean ice worm researchers are very excited about it and they uh there's an ice worm researcher named scott hodling who told npr quote if you were going to put a biological mascot on the glaciers of the northwest it's an ice worm and he complains uh, that the visitor center near Paradise Glacier in Mount Rainier, Washington, has all sorts of stuff on, like, other wildlife. But, quote, there is somehow nothing about ice worms, and it is a source of frustration for me. So there are ice worm fans who are upset that ice worms are not getting the attention they deserve. This poor guy. I mean, he's, he's not championing a winning cause. <laughs> Never going to be happy because no one's going to get excited about it. Ice worms, except us. Uh, You're wrong, maybe we though. Should give them a call. Other people who are super excited? There's an ice worm festival. Yeah. Oh, oh, what a sad little town. Who's doing that? This is the Cordova Ice Worm Festival held every oh, year in Alaska. Alaska, where you can enjoy ice worm themed challenges, uh, an ice theme, ice worm thing haystack trail thing. Ice worm basketball <laughs> and ice worm volleyball. What are those things? What are, is that just snow? Snow volleyball and snow basketball? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think like the volleyball is made out of a ball of ice worms. Uh, no, it's not. Oh. I don't know. It's probably a normal volleyball. Uh, I wouldn't want a volleyball made out of ice worms because that's mean to the ice worms. What? Alaska is so... They just... <laughs> What do they've got I mean? Nothing up there. They've got <laughs> polar bears and cold, and so I'd like to see you come up with a way to spend your time. Um, but yeah, the Ice Worm Festival started in the 1960s and featured a giant ice worm mascot. It's like yeah. a row of people, basically like a long line of people, and the person in front has like a little ice worm head. That's just like a little smiley face, and then a bunch of people behind them in a long line. Yeah, like if you picture like a, a Chinese dragon, yeah, uh, it's just like that. Except it's a it's a, a very cartoonish looking worm. They didn't bother to go for any of the specificity that makes the worm interesting to me. Yeah, they didn't they just... do like the microscopic <laughs> photography version of it with terrifying bristles and just this gaping maw. No, no they gave this one earmuffs and blush. <laughs> it's too yeah. It's just it's not faithful to the actual <laughs> worm. Well, good for them. I'm glad they have their own little thing. Um, <laughs> I I grew up in a town that had 
uh, potato days. So like, I know what it's like to have a, a bullshit <laughs> festival. In Colorado? <laughs> yeah. So Colorado, where I grew up in the mountains of Colorado is really great for growing potatoes. And for mm. a long time, that area was producing more potatoes than all of Idaho across the U.S. And so it's just like train cars coming out of this area called the Roaring Fork Valley filled with uh, minerals are like so silver and gold and um, coal and stuff. And then also potatoes, just train cars filled with potatoes going all over the, the world. And they even had like their own type of potato there called the McClure. That was one of the most famous potatoes in like the early 1900s. Wow. And I know all this because I had potato days growing up. And it was a, and I remember as a kid being like, uh, why are we doing <laughs> Let's just, there's so many other cool things around us. Like, let's just celebrate something else. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough on a kid. You see like other places, you know, with like, hey, our state is known for our cool snakes or we've got <laughs> yeah. oranges. It's like, well, we got yeah. potatoes. California put a bear on their flag. You can we- just do these things. <laughs> We did have a, in San Diego, we had a grunion run, which is like, there are these little fish things that breed on the beach, but they come up near the surface of the beach to breed and or like on the shoreline. Yeah. And, um, and then you can like go along and like collect them because like once they breed, they kind of just die. So you yeah. are allowed to go along the shoreline and just dig up and pick up these like dying sexed out fish and that was i never did it because i thought of the smell and then decided no oh and they're not a fun looking fish either they're They're sort of they're a phallic (laughs) fish for sure (laughs) they're a they're they're a tube like fish we've we come back to tubes yeah we're back we always return to tubes Watching people walk through it is really unnerving as well. I'm I'm done with the Grunion Festival. Imagine <laughs> the foot feel if you like accidentally step on one. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, it's not no like that is a like if you if you uh, have walked on the beach barefoot and then you've ever s- stepped on something squidgy, it's not like you're not like oh great I like this feeling I'm excited to find out what it was. Right, let me let me dig in a little deeper on that. That was delicious. <laughs> that felt great on my ball of my toe. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So we talked about a worm who likes it cold. In fact, likes it cold so much it will melt 
in your mouth, not in your hand. Actually, it melts both in your hand and your mouth. Uh, anyways, now we're talking about a worm who likes it a bit toastier, likes it a bit warmer. It's called the Pompeii worm. I bet I could guess where this worm lives. Uh, it's, I think it's actually kind of a misnomer. Oh. I don't, I don't think it really like lives in Pompeii. I think it's just because, well, I'm, I'm going to apologize for the biologist who named this. <laughs> apologize on his behalf. Yeah. I wonder why, why is it? I mean, it's just like, uh, it's just, so it lives, um, in the Pacific Ocean. What? It's, yeah. Wait. <laughs> this thing should live in a volcano. Yeah, you would think so, right? But it kind of does, in a way. Okay. okay. So, basically what these guys look like, they look like these colorful pink or green hairy worms with horrible face tentacles. They are not microscopic. You could comfortably hold one in your hand. They grow uh, up... Well, well... <laughs> I don't know what he was doing it comfortably. Soothingly. So, like <laughs> calmly uh, and meditatively, you could hold one of these. They grow up to around five inches or 13 centimeters. So, yeah, you know, it's like it's like a solid guy. Yeah, this is a pet. This is like a cat. <laughs> oh, I, God, I, it's so hideous. It's, well, it's fluffy. You could say it's fluffy. You know what it looks like? Um, mm. It's got, this is, I feel like Stranger Things when they made the mouth, the mouths of uh, oh, yeah. whatever that, Gorgon or whatever. The yeah, Demi the dodecahedron. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they stole from this thing. It is. Yeah. It, you yeah. Know, you, if you were to start at the tail and work up, you'd be like, okay, okay. What sort of fluffy animal is this? And then the tail just doesn't end and you get to head and it's hideous. Yeah. it's So their bodies are covered in what looks like sort of a fine hair and then their heads are like it looks like a flower but it's tentacles yeah it's got an anemone vibe to it yeah it does a little bit doesn't it so these guys uh are actually a polychaete worm um found where else but the hot hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean so yeah. they live in these sort of naturally forming tubes near the hydrothermal vents where oh they're... God. What's that? Tubes within tubes within tubes? Tubes! We always get back to tubes. Uh, it's tubes tubes in tubes forever. I think that's in physics as well, essentially. Um, we're probably in a tube in the universe right now, just like these worms are in tubes yeah. near hydrothermal oh. vents, which are themselves also tubes. Anyways, their butts endure temperatures of 176 degrees Fahrenheit or 80 degrees Celsius, which is, now I like a toasty butt, you know, like it's nice when you like, say you sit in a chair where uh, someone's recently sat in, you're like, oh, this is nice. This was warmed up for me. Um, but 176 degrees Fahrenheit is a little bit a lot. Of heat for the butt. Yeah, I'm just doing the quick calculation to buoys. Yeah, it is too hot. <laughs> it is one and one fourth point three buoys. 
So their heads actually face outwards and are at a much nicer area of water that's only around 72 degrees Fahrenheit or 22 degrees Celsius. And that is like, that's a friendly temperature for me. Yeah, that sounds nice. That's How, how does it get there that quick? Yeah, it's like, the, well, because so in these, the... Near these vents, right, you're at the bottom of the ocean, and the water is very cold because oh, it gets no sunlight. sunlight. And so right next to these vents, that it's extremely, extremely hot. And then as it rapidly cools down as you get further away from the vent. I see. Okay. Which is actually wow. key to things being able to survive near these vents because you have, like, this zone near the vents that goes from being basically inhospitable to being like, eh, it's all right. It's tepid. <laughs> not too bad. Yeah. But yeah, but their their butts are in an area that is just ridiculously hot. And then researchers wanted to test their limits. They uh, can survive temperatures up to 221 degrees Fahrenheit or 105 degrees Celsius, which makes them the Second toughest animal when it comes to heat resistance. Can you guess the toughest animal when it comes to heat resistance? I'm thinking. It is the kangaroo rat. <laughs> uh, no. It is oh, okay. the tardigrade. So tardigrades. Oh, yeah. yeah those indestructible little things. That they makes are, sense. Yes. They, are, they, are, they look like a microbe, but they are actually a microscopic animal, and they are <laughs> virtually indestructible. Um, but yeah, so the fact that these uh, Pompeii worms are almost as indestructible as these tardigrades, and yet they are large and squishy, it's, it's interesting. So... How do they have such tough butts? Well, researchers think that they may use bacteria as a heat-resistant coat. Remember earlier where you were like, it's like as if a skeleton was wearing a fur coat? Uh, that yeah. picture of the, the ice worm? Yeah. This is like if you're wearing a coat made out of bacteria, uh, and that is helping you survive extreme heat. Um, so... All that fur or hair that's on their bodies, that's just strands of bacteria. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're oh, stinky little, little guys. <laughs> bacteria shield. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it like, like make you want to pet them? Just get right in there. Scratch all that nice fur, all that bacteria my, fur. Yeah. I want to take a Claritin and just put my face right in mm. that fur. Yeah. Give it a little kiss. Mm. Uh, so the worm secretes a mucus that attracts oh, damn it. and feeds the bacteria. Uh, oh, God. The world is either tubes or mucus. <laughs> I'm sorry. And usually it's, it's tubes filled with mucus. This is such a mistake. Like, I just think about the world differently. After Every time I learned enough about nature, I'm like... <laughs> No wonder we all tried to escape it. No wonder we went to homes and we went the direction we did and put soles on our shoes. Like, we have to get away from this. This is hell. <laughs> we encountered just yet another mucus-filled tube and we're like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. We're, we're shutting it I all down. This. I hate this. I hate that it has to, that this worm 
attracts a bacteria to keep it safe from extreme temperatures. Yeah, and the bacteria like grows in these strands that look like fur. Yeah. Hmm? Oh my god. So the bacteria uh, is thought to both shield the worm from intense heat and maybe help the worm feed. Now, I don't think it directly eats the bacteria that is on its own body because it needs that for the heat protection. But like when I was reading about it, there was just this vague sort of reference of like, it may help it feed. And it's like, how? Why? And then it's just like, uh, maybe maybe it does something <laughs> to help it feed. <laughs> But they do also eat bacteria using feeding tentacles that come out of their face. So like these long, sticky strands that they shoot out and just kind of like, you know, suck up uh, bacteria on these filaments. So that's nice. Yeah, I'm somewhat sympathetic to this one. Only because, Hmm. have you ever tried to be in a uh, natural hot springs in a river before? No. I'm you have to. Yeah, so I get like I get hives if I sit in the wrong uh hot tub. So uh, <laughs> I I well, have allergic reactions to uh fungi that most people don't even notice and for me somehow it gets on my body and then I oh. just kind of uh grow spots. You're like our canary species or that that like a <laughs> A pica or a, one an of the, indicator species for, yeah. for fungus. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, no, I have never uh, okay. well, sat in a natural hot springs. Well, let me try to describe it. You, you, in Colorado, they occur in rivers. And in those rivers, those all uh, runoff. So, it's snow melt that has just recently melted. So, the water is barely below freezing as it's coming down the river. And then there's a hot spring somewhere there. And that water coming out of the hot springs is blisteringly hot and so you have to figure out if you want to like go try to enjoy one of these you've got to figure out how to get the right rocks in the right area to just filter in enough of the river water that it immediately cools the blisteringly hot um uh hot spring and then you can kind of get like a nice temperature going in this one section of the river and it's very pleasant but it still smells deeply like sulfur ah Uh, So I don't know why we used to do this. Uh, now that I'm describing it, I'm like, this is just, we have showers at home. Um, but yeah, we used to try <laughs> to do this all the time. And it gets to the point where like you it you can't tell anymore whether what you're feeling is intense cold or intense heat. Ooh, that I know. Moment. Yeah. That, so that feeling painful. I know. Yeah, that sounds horrible. It's interesting you mentioned sulfur. Hold on to that thought while we okay. take a quick break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So we are back, and have you been thinking about sulfur for the, the like, time. 30 seconds that we've been gone? When we sat here in silence for the full ads, yeah. I, all I did was think about sulfur. I, I set I set a timer. I was like, this is where the ads go. We've got a method. We've got to do method. And then Katie just, she says, we'll be right back. And then she looks off into the distance and does not speak to me. No. We're around video. She doesn't on, speak to me. I'm on standby mode. Uh, she just waits. <laughs> and then she comes back. This is how this is how I get the realistic experience. Like if the audience feels like they're the only ones who have to listen to ads and like wait patiently during that time, that's unfair. That but there's got to be some right. fairness. <laughs> so, yeah, uh sulfur, it's not it's not great, right? Like the smell isn't good. It's rough. Um we there there we have the largest natural hot springs actual pool in Colorado. It's in this place mm-hmm. called Glenwood Springs. And I used to do my, I was on swim team and we would go there in the morning and do swim team in this pool. Oh. And throughout the summer, my skin just smelled like sulfur. Huh. That's interesting. Every, yeah. Like that you would do that because it's general, like if it's too sulfuric, uh, it can be, you know, not good for the body. No, be- my hair would turn green too. Oh, well, that's a good sign. That's always healthy. That's that's what oh. doctors say. Hair turns green a day, keeps the doctor away, <laughs> mostly because we don't want to touch you. I was building up bacteria as a protectant. <laughs> you were just like covered in fur. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's interesting that you mentioned Colorado because there is a famous sulfur cave in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, that mm-hmm. contains a very amazing animal. It's another tube. It's a sulfur worm. So uh, a sulfur cave is not a good place for a human. It's not like a great place for the casual spelunker uh, because they contain lethal levels of hydrogen sulfide and carbon dioxide. So the air is, I mean, first of all, the smell is bad, like a fart, but then it's a fart that kills you. This is horrendous. I, I'm just like looking up better other pictures of these worms, and I, and the NPR story says sulfur cave in Colorado home to blood red worm blobs. Yep, they look like I don't know because they're all bundled together, right, in a blob. So they look a little bit yeah. like a plate of spaghetti, but it's worms and they're red. Yeah, deep, deep red, almost a brown. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to go into one of these sulfur caves that these sulfur worm balls live in, you have to wear breathing apparatus. Um, And because there are also pools of sulfuric acid that can burn your flesh off if you stay in it too long, you have to wear protective equipment all over your body. So, yeah, so there is... um, there are actually only a few sulfur caves in the world, and one of them is in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Uh, I assume you've never been in this cave, Soren, despite growing up in Colorado. I I regretfully haven't. Yeah, I haven't been in this terrible cave with these terrible animals. 
You just turned your hair green with sulfur. It's like that's, that's baby <laughs> stuff. I'm realizing now that yeah, that's the case. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I am, I'm thankful that these worms, they knew what they knew the situation. They knew that they were disgusting and gross, and they were like, let's just live somewhere where we're out of sight. Yeah, these humans don't go. Yeah, I mean, like, they didn't expect researchers to try to find them. And now we're like, ew, gross. And they're like, we know that's why we're in here. Get out. We, la- <laughs> we came in here on purpose for you. Yeah. It's like when I'm sick and snotty and gross and then mm-hmm. someone comes to my door. Maybe there's a delivery. Maybe there's a marketer or something. And it's like. Look, I know I'm horrifying to look at, but this is, you brought this on yourself by coming (laughs) to my sulfur cave and like poking at my writhing mass, which is myself of, of worms. (laughs) Quite an image you painted. Yeah. Thank you. So the cave is, uh, full of crystal structures, a huge, huge amount of bacteria and yeah, these balls of brownish pink slimy worms. Um, so uh, researchers, I mean, so researchers are interesting because they'll do things that you normally wouldn't do because they have some kind of like thirst for knowledge or whatever. And so, yeah, they they go into these highly toxic environments and check out the worms. Researchers like David Steinman of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, uh, and they're interested in how the worms live in such a toxic environment. Uh, And apparently uh, the worm's blood is able to bind to oxygen much better than most animals. And I think uh, David Steinman has this quote where he's like saying something to the effect of like, yeah, athletes would love to have warm blood, which, you know, is is one way to say things. <laughs> well, that's why people go to Colorado to train, right? Because right. like your blood has to oxygenate better up there. So the, even better in these caves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you got to... I mean, it's just like, imagine a a scandal at the Olympics where you find out someone's been juicing with warm blood. <laughs> You'd be like, well, good, good work. That's a hard <laughs> thing to... You had to go collect those. That's not easy. You got to get a whole suit for that. Yeah. I mean, really. You figure out how to extract the blood. Yeah. Like, you know, like people carbo load before a race by eating a big plate of spaghetti. Maybe they like blood load by eating a big plate of these sulfur worms. You'd probably die. But, you know, you got to do it for the gains. (laughs) You got to do it for the Tour de France. (laughs) I don't know if I've told you, Katie. Mm. I don't do great with blood. Oh, (laughs) It's like a, a phobia of mine. and Yeah, uh, that's very common. I, I, which is comforting to me. It means that maybe we're right. Um, <laughs> but I, it, I get this, just like the idea of these, these little tubes of blood is really <laughs> making me ride. Like maybe in a little bit, I'll lie down on my floor. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, no okay. I mean. Well, you know, one of the reasons, uh, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's sort of related to human evolution. One of the, um, uh, I will not mention blood in detail here. No, but it's okay. It's you like, can do it. It's fine. Um, all right. I'll mention blood in detail. Get into, get yes, into the viscosity please. of the blood. 
No, but yeah, it's um like the phobia of blood. It one of the theories is that if you see blood and you like the vasovagal response to blood where you faint, um, it may be a defensive tactic to basically be like, oh, I'm bleeding. Well, I'm dead, so you can not bother me anymore. Oh, it's like to deal with bears. Right, exactly. <laughs> and just for some people, like I get a, I will sometimes have a vasovagal response not to, um, not to blood, but to like um, being like punctured, <laughs> like with a with a needle. Um, yeah. So like not, yeah. it's interesting because it depends on like, uh, if I'm just getting like a flu shot, it doesn't matter. But if I'm getting like, getting, like a venipuncture, uh, I can get the vasovagal response for some reason. Yes. So it's like, you know, you just sort of, uh, it, it is a, um, a sort of automatic response your body has and you don't have any control over it. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, it's like, it's like in clinical settings, it's worse for me in the same way. Like drawing yeah. blood, seeing a scalpel go into skin and then the blood that uh, erupts from that. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff is... Uh, that's where it really does it for me. Emergency situations feels like, and I mean emergency outside of a hospital, like out in the world. If I saw blood, I think I'd it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me as much as intentional blood. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think that we have we have discovered today that these little wormies, these little tubes, they are quite a bit more hardy than they seem and they will live anywhere they can possibly find a niche or a crevice uh and just like do their thing do their little tubey wormy thing good just stay out of my eyesight is all i'm asking of these worms just like be be in these places stay in these like remote spots where humans aren't supposed to go I'll I'll be even more generous and say just like stay out of my eyeballs like don't go into my <laughs> eyes and then you're fine like I'll look at you but if you try yeah. to get into my vitreous right. fluid that's where I draw the line that's my boundary it happens sometimes right with like parasitic worms yep. that, like people will see it streaming across their eyeball yeah yeah I watched that's... that documentary too <laughs> 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 oh, yeah 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 i i in general uh again it's interesting i have a very high tolerance for parasites it's yeah. the ones that you can see like the ones where you like see them under people's skin that i yeah. i i call it quits at that point i'm like well it's yeah yeah it's a yeah, lot it's probably where that needle uh fear comes from yeah. it's like you've got this invasive species that's or this invasive thing that's just like under your skin and right there and yeah. it's like ah so, um, before we go, we gotta play a little game. Oh, and yes. Oh, yes. I remember yeah. this part. This is the Guess Who's Squawking Mystery Animal Sound Game. Every week I play Mystery Animal Sound, and you, the listener, and you, the guest, try to guess who's squawking. Uh, last week's Mystery Animal Sound hint was this. This foxy little feller loves a banana. That's, it's a banana. I, I want it to be clear I'm saying banana. I'm just saying banana in a fun way. It's clear. It's from the song. Banana. Apples and bananas. Apples and bananas. Alright, well here it is. I'm I just I I wanna watch this whole video. So again, 
the the hint is this foxy little feller loves a banana. Yeah, that it's that animal sounds like it's in pure joy. Whatever mm-hmm. it's doing, it's really enjoying itself. Can I guess what that animal is? You can guess what that animal is. Fennec fox. No. Damn it. <laughs> Congratulations to Grant W, Aaron K, and Joe N, who all guess correctly the flying fox. Oh. So this is a megabat. Uh, you were right, Soren, that it is in pure bliss, though. So you got that right. You read the room correctly. <laughs> it is being petted. Uh, and it's enjoying little head scratches. I'm actually I'm gonna give you the video because yeah. I it makes me so happy. I just want to give you that for now or later, whenever you want it, because it is the best video ever. So, the gray-headed flying fox is the largest bat in Australia with a wingspan of up to three feet or about a meter. They eat pollen, nectar, and fruit. And while the banana is not indigenous to Australia, in bat rescues, they are a popular treat for the bats in their care. So baby flying foxes must cling to their mothers who will even fly with the baby attached to them. But sometimes the babies will fall off the mother, typically because of disease or ticks that weaken either the baby bat or the mother. And because the gray-headed flying fox is a vulnerable species in Australia, bat rescuers will gather the abandoned baby bats, wrap them in little blankies, and feed them milk. And when they're older, they'll hand-feed them fruit, just like precious little packages. Have you ever seen, like, a baby bat wrapped in a little baby blanket getting fed a grape? I mean, I think it's universal. I, it, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen a swaddled bat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> getting getting fed fruit. That's yes. exactly like something I'd see. It's probably a flying fox. So okay. this particular flying fox is in the care of a professional Sydney wildlife bat rescuer named Mandy Griffith and was rescued with the intent to release but was too injured and so is now a pampered educational bat. So just as a reminder, like don't pet wild bats. Even I know that sound is like the most heavenly cute sound you've ever heard and this is like mean of me to play it and then say like sorry don't pet them but it is true because uh they do like you don't want to mess with bats in terms of transmitting diseases to and from them and bat rescuers are professional bat handlers who have been fully vaccinated to prevent the spread of diseases that fucked me up a little (laughs) 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 that that, i feels like a interspecies uh, back to, uh, interspecies viruses are like not a thing that's even on my radar. It's like yeah. I think I can think of the getting colds from people, but getting something from a, my cat or like getting something from uh, an animal, like a frog or something like that. I'm like, oh no, wait, they can do that? Viruses yeah. can just jump from one to another? I mean, there was, I don't know if you uh, heard about this, but we had a little, a little incident a few years ago. No, that um, was created in a lab. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean, there's multiple reasons, right? Like, because, you know, it's a wild animal. You don't want to, like, uh, mess with wild animals. They generally don't appreciate being pet. It's just in this very specific and charming situation, this bat was abandoned uh, due to unfortunate circumstances and is too injured to be released. So, In this very special set of circumstances, it's okay for this person to pet this bat 
And it, now we all get to enjoy it through listening to the bat's delightful little squeaks as it's getting scritchied and scratchied. That's really kind. It's really nice. It's, I don't know what it is, but baby bat videos, like, I, it's pure serotonin. <laughs> it's just it's like the opposite of getting getting a venipuncture. It's like the yeah. opposite feeling of the vasovagal response. It's like my brain just goes into hyperdrive of like being happy with this. This is a nice palate cleanser from bloodworms in a sulfur cave. Yeah, from being from horrible tubes to cute little bats making squeaky noises. Yeah, the cuter tubes. Very very cute. Flying cute fluffy tubes. Yeah. On to this week's mystery animal sound, the hint, if you've got happy feet, this is not a sound you want to hear. Are you allowed to give me, if I ask a question? Yeah. Uh, is that happening underwater? It is indeed. There's a free hint for y'all. Thanks, thanks to Soren. Yeah. Do stingrays make a noise? Is that a stingray? No. well you will find out on next episode of creature feature uh if you out there think you know who is making this sound you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com soren thank you so much for joining me today and talking about the wonderful wild and sometimes just horrible and devastating world of worms thank you for having me on and I've enjoyed this time, and I will think about how everything is tubed from now on. Yeah, you look a little bit, a little stricken from that realization, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Soren underscore LTD. Uh, you can find me on my podcast, which is A Quick Question with Soren and Daniel, which is a podcast that I do with Daniel O'Brien, who is also from Crack, where we all grew up. Yeah, we grew up together in school, which was cracked. Yeah. Remember, uh, m- remember Mrs. Cracked, cracked, Mrs. Cracked, the Miss, teacher? <laughs> I like how you gave up on that. <laughs> then you were like, I'll give her a name. No, let's just do cracked. Mrs. Craps. <laughs> nope, didn't mean to say that even. That was not even intentional. Uh, and you can also find my episodes of my show called American Dad. When I say my show. <laughs> the show that I that Seth I'm lucky enough to, to, to is that to you? <laughs> you can find episodes of American Dad on Hulu, or you can go watch it on TBS. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show and you leave a review or rating, I deeply, deeply appreciate it. Uh, even if it's just like, "Hey, nice, nice tubes," that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> Just if you write, you know, you write a review, I will read it. I read all the reviews. And, you know, you know, send me an email if you want at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. If you got the mystery animal sound noise that you got a guess for, or if you have any questions or just tube opinions, like, like them <laughs> or don't like them, let me know. And thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Where have you listened to your favorite shows? I don't actually care. Fine. Whatever you want to do. See you next Wednesday. Bye. <laughs> 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.